This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Otago Access Radio, in partnership with Otago Polytech, brings you Blowing Bubbles. Blowing Bubbles brings you positive conversations of people in their bubbles around the world. How are people living their bubble lives? Working from home, keeping kids entertained, and staying connected and getting exercise. And how are these things presenting us with the opportunities to find new ways of living? Every weekday, the Sustainable Lens team of Samuel Mann, Shan Gallagher and Mara Karatai reach out from their bubbles to chat with interesting and positive people around the world. Broadcast on Otago Access Radio 105.4 FM and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz and sustainablelens.org. Bringing connection, joy, kindness and peace in the days ahead. Welcome to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. I'm Samuel Mann in Soyuz Bay, Dunedin, and I am joined from Fakatani by Mawera Karatai. Kia ora, Mawera. Hello, Sam. How's it going? It's going very well. I have almost got my legs and neck back after the swim at the weekend. That's really good. How did, how did you feel like you went in your swim? Were you happy? I got to the end. Yay! I got to the end. I was a bit a bit disappointed that I didn't go quite as well as I thought I was going to do, but maybe that's just me being picky on myself. There's always next year. Yeah, but it was quite a long way. Yeah. <laughs> so it's next year. Yeah. <laughs> You've got time to get ready. Yeah, it wasn't cold. I, did, I didn't suffer at all from the cold. I, I got in and it was like, huh. Just start swimming, it was fine. But um, it was just a little bit, there was a bit of cross chop, sort of about halfway out, that you're swimming yeah. along and you didn't know which direction the waves were coming from. So you couldn't <laughs> just sort of like, you couldn't get into a really smooth pattern. And that, that beat me up a bit. But other than that, I got to the end, so I'm all happy. It's That's been on really the, good. It's been on the list for a long time. Who are we introducing today? Today it is my absolute fabulous pleasure to introduce Steve Meharry. Uh, Steve is, I've known him for a, a number of years, he's a hunter, a fisherman, a dad, a husband, a quiet community leader who gets on and just does stuff. He enables so much cool stuff around food. Um, he works as the lead hand on the PM3 paper machine at Asalio here in Kawaro. And in the lockdown, he and I had a really amazing conversation um, about how it was for people working in that space at that time um, through COVID and uh, it's really played on my mind and it was just a really neat thing when Steve agreed to come on the show today and and talk about how it's been for him and his life and welcome Steve. It is just so cool to have you on the show. Thank you very much guys, Uh, much appreciated. Uh, not something that I would uh, thought I would be doing, but um, yeah, I can only but uh, <laughs> help answer some questions or tell you how old I was doing during lockdown and what we got up to and things around the place. So, how was your bubble life during the the first lockdown? Yeah, it was it was um, it was very scary actually to start off with. Obviously, when we we heard that we were going into lockdown, and uh, where I was working, we produce. Um, Toilet paper, um, handy towels, tissues, nappies, and all that. So obviously, being essential worker, we had to go to work. Uh, the rest of my family, apart from my 
father's daughter who's in the police force, um, we had to sort of segregate ourselves in, a, in the garage down um, opposite our house, and we've got a sort of a bit of a games room there. And um, yeah, so we came up with a plan and said, okay, if we're going to do this, we'll do it right because obviously it was in the unknown, and, and no one knew exactly what the hell was going to happen and what it was going to be like. So we thought, right, okay, we'll, we'll play the rules and we'll we'll do it all well. So um, my wife and uh, the kids and everything, we all women got our um, beds and all our, all our food and, and cutlery and we went down there and for four weeks we stayed out in the barn and um, I'd come, I'd go to work in the morning at, at seven o'clock and come home at four o'clock and um, would not associate too much with, uh, with the, uh, my kids and my wife and um, yeah, I'd go straight in, have a shower, you know, chuck your clothes in the washing machine and go down to the, the games room and sit there and watch TV and, and they'd come out and give me my dinner and so it was actually really, really, um, it was very hard, actually. The first week was sort of a bit of a novelty, you know, it was, oh, this is quite cool, you know, we're away and, and I can go to bed when I want to and watch TV when I want to. And um, But after about a week or so, you know, you like your, the, the cuddles and the kisses and of, of your family, was it was bloody hard. Um, so it became a bit of a struggle, really, um, and the four weeks couldn't have come quick enough at the end of it. So at... Work was it work as usual, or, or was this similar sort of distancing at work? Oh no, at uh, work became um, yeah social distancing. All our um, office staff and management um, they were able to work from home, so uh, they they went off and, and did that sort of thing. Being being a maintenance, we had to stay there, you know, because if a if a, a motor or a, or a pump broke and failed, we had to fix it um we tried to uh get a, a like a roster together where we thought right okay if we've got 10 fitters five of us could um do different shifts um, and we went to the company and asked them about it and and they decided it was probably not the best idea and um and and it was an unknown thing you know and we thought well we were right and and they were wrong and and then you know it, it, it became quite um quite difficult at the time um because we thought with them, them staying at home and we're working, we're the ones that's putting ourselves at risk and I'm coming home to my family um, and we didn't know, you know, what the heck was going to happen. So it was, a, it, was a tough, it was a tough time then. We've heard lots about the, the supermarket workers and we've heard lots about the, the medical workers as essential workers, but we haven't really heard a lot about the, the people further back in those supply chains. But you you were definitely were essential and saw yourselves as part of that essential supply chain. Oh yes, most definitely. Um, I think our production of our toilet rolls and tissue paper went up two hundred and eighty percent. So that's a hell of a lot, you know. And we supplied basically the whole of New Zealand with uh, toilet paper, handy towels, tissues to keep them going. And um, and then at the moment now that that we're going forward, um, things are a little bit stagnant as in all the hotels are sort of not buying your stuff because they haven't got the tourists coming in and it's a snowball effect. Um, so it was, it was really hard and um, so we kept the machines going and it was, you know, and it went really, really well. We had no hiccups, um, but, you know, we had no uh, travel agencies coming in. Um, we didn't have any... Um, contact with the outside world so much like if you know something broke down and we needed a, 
a bolt, for instance, you know, it was a, a huge rigmarole just to get that because everyone had closed down. And then uh, being, a, being that sort of part, it was it was very hard, you know. Um, but luckily, we didn't have too much issues and it, and it went smoothly. But it's unknown, you know, it was through the rest of the world. And, and you look look what's happening around the world and you think, God, oh, is this going to happen to us? And uh, luckily, um, it's, it hasn't. It must have been a bit surreal when there was a big panic buy of toilet paper because people presumably thought it was going to run out. And there you were running the, the machines with presumably big piles of toilet paper. Thinking, what are they on about? Yeah, it was like that. Yeah, we, we, we produce women, say, 15,000 toilet rolls every hour. <laughs> you know, that's <laughs> a lot of toilet paper. And then we, you know, New Zealand was never, ever going to run out. Um, at all it was it was that panic buying um and you're gonna have to eat a lot of food at home to go through a lot of that wouldn't you <laughs> but it was it was good it was it was good for the company um because everyone wanted their products and 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 it's um and it and being a, a homegrown new zealand company too um to a certain point um with all kiwi workers um and a little old kawaro um yeah it was, it was really good um it brought brought the guys closer together um, especially in the maintenance department, and um, yeah, as you say, it was the unknown. Every day you went to work, you didn't know what was going to happen, and um, would it, would we close down? Would we do this? You know, if, if we relied on pulp from uh, overseas to produce our um, our toilet paper, we didn't know if the shipping would be still allowed to come through. So, but they did, and um, you know, the government did a great job by allowing you know that sort of stuff to, to carry on. Why does it come from overseas? Don't we have we have trees? Don't we? We, we do, but there's different fibres that uh, make uh, tissue and and toilet paper and obviously paper is is a total different tissue altogether. So um, yeah, and it is cost effective too. We can probably buy the pulp uh, a lot cheaper overseas than we can here in New Zealand, which is real strange. Um, you know, we produce pine. Um, and not all the pine fibres are good to make toilet paper. So you have to mix different um, trees like uh, eucalypt um, to make softer tissues, and it's all the grains and stuff to go with. So that's why we have to import stuff. So you happily went back to the house at the end of what end, end of lockdown four, or did you stay in your shed through through three? No, no, as soon as it turned to three, we went back home, so um, it all, all was going uh, good then. So, yeah, it was good to get back into um, the household again, and um, it was it was pretty good. So, yeah, every time we heard that it was going to go to level three or level four, we're going, oh, no, not again. And, but um, I suppose once you've done it once, and if it did happen again, we sort of um, we've crossed that bridge. It's not a first anymore. Your daughter was a, is a, in the police, so she was working. Yes, she was working full time. Um, she was doing shift work. Um, I think they did a couple of night shifts, a couple of day shifts, a couple of late shifts, and then um, she would come home. And um, I had a little cabin off to the side of our place uh, where I was staying in the garage. So she used to come in there and um, and use the the toilet area and wash basin and stuff. And we'd sort of pass by each other, but you know, same thing, minimal contact. Um, yeah, we had all the hygiene, wash your hands and all that um, thing going on. So, um, yeah, that was that was difficult again. And uh, now she did a, a, um, an, an amazing job, you know. Um, she just started in the police force and um, once again the unknown was um, 
was pretty real and um, she had to deal with a lot of things and um, yeah, you know, wearing those big heavy jackets and masks and stuff, uh, you probably got to give them a lot of credit for what they do really. Let's take the first of your music choices. Let's have Billy Joel, Piano Man. Why this one? Oh, it's uh, it's quite good, to, close to my heart, really. When I uh, went uh, fishing and, and hunting and stuff, and then uh, floating down the river with a certain individual, um, that was uh, one of my songs. I used to sing to him, not very well though, but <laughs> I like Billy Joel. It's better than drinking alone. 
So after the, the lockdowns, you were able to, to get back to hunting and fishing and looking after the farm? Um, yes, it, it came a bit slower than what we thought, you know. Um, obviously, it went to level three and then level two, and then uh, the hunting side of things, you couldn't go until it was level two, I think it was, um, because all the public land um, was still closed down, obviously because of, you know, someone, a hunter went in there and we... We got hurt, and uh, you're putting people at, at danger to come again. So, um, yeah, it was it was a bit strange. Um, you know, I lived for my fishing and for my hunting, and, uh, and when we were able to get back out there and go fishing again, it was it was, it was amazing. Um, yeah, we provide a lot of um, food for friends and family, and it was good to give back again because you know some of them were, were struggling pretty pretty badly, really. Um, obviously, my life didn't change a hell of a lot because I got up in the morning and went to work and carried on. So, uh, you know, my my pay structure didn't didn't change, but a hell of a lot of the rest of people around New Zealand did change. I do feel sorry for them. Um, and we actually put a little bit of a, a thing on Facebook or in the Kawado page um, saying if anyone was struggling um, with food and stuff like that, you know, we've got a couple of freezers still full. And um, if and anybody wanted to, you know, give us a ring and we're only too happy. And uh, there was a couple of people and, it, you know, that, that helped out. And, and that's what it's all about, eh? Because I, I would hope to think that if I was struggling, you know, I needed something, someone would, you know, do the same for me. So swings and roundabouts. In the maintenance department, I think it, I'm sorry, not in just in the maintenance department, but in the production as well. I think the average age in the paint machine is 65 years old, which is crazy, you know. It's unbelievable. So we have a, obviously an older workforce, um, and in the maintenance too, we're, I think the average age in there is in the high 50. That's a hell of a lot to do with um, back in the day where the printer sort of thing stopped working. Um, they had a big break and, and they're taking on apprentices all the time. The gap between, I think, uh, probably the 50-year-old and the 70-year-old was huge um, and there was no one coming forward. And, and now I see it now. Well, I'm 
looking after guys on the paint machines and we have big maintenance shuts where we have probably 50 or 60 people come in for a couple of days and, and we do a, a, a lot of maintenance on the machines to get them up and going for a couple of days and the, the workforce is, is really old. There's no young guys coming through anymore. Um, so what we thought was that you know, being older um, and you're more susceptible to catching COVID and if you've got the flu, you know, you're going to go down. So we thought, well, um, we'd come into a, a segregated workforce where, where we'd let, let people stay home and then um, when, if there was a breakdown of such, um, we'd be on call and we'd come straight in. So that's what we thought would, would work really well. But, um, the, yeah, our company thought otherwise and so we, we carried on a status quo. But yeah, we do uh, worry about our, our workers. Yeah, it's difficult when people are both essential and vulnerable. Yeah, yeah, well, without, without a doubt. Yeah, and then yeah, the, the, all companies have got an end goal, um, and they need to produce this and and produce that to get to A and B. And it, as I say, that it was unknown; no one knew what was going to happen. And yeah, it's just looking at. We just thought that the workers in the maintenance department were probably not. Uh, looked after to a certain degree as much as say what the office workers and the bosses were but um yeah it was a hard time because no as i say no one knew what was going to happen but it worked out all right hope for the better and so after the lockdown was over everybody just like went back to work or did we were able to take a break no not at all um our company um stayed we have either level one or level four so uh, when when new zealand went back to level three um the company still stayed at level four and then when I went to level two, still operated at level four. So, um, yep, that was an Australasian uh, company in Australia hold the purse string. And obviously being Australia was, you know, affected way worse than what we were. Um, so there, that's, and being a tissue hygienics factory, you know, we didn't want anything to, to jeopardise our, our health and safety. So, um, yeah, we stayed at level, level four for quite a long time. Yeah, and then just the last one again, where uh, Auckland's a lockdown, we went and operated back to level four. So our staff went home, um, and they all operated from home and, and knew what to do, and we stayed at work again. So, yeah, no travellers coming in. and um, So, yeah, it was difficult again. So you, you say you had a level four and a level one, but has back at level one, has anything stuck from, from what it was like at level four? As, you know? Oh, yeah, yeah, most definitely. You know, we got that contact tracing, uh, all the stuff like that as best we can. Um, yeah, the hygiene is still pretty much there. You know, it, it slackens off a little bit because you complain it. But um, we have still got the hygiene sort of stuff, and we, we're regular worried about guys that get sniffles and coughs and make sure that they go home and, and stay there. Uh, whereas before, you know, if you had a sniffle or a cough, you'd probably come to work. And now, if you did have a sniffle or a cough, you say, OK, but we'll just go home for a couple of days. And, um, and everybody understands that now. So, yeah, a little bit more um, social distancing when you're working. Um, and, it, and it is very, very hard, especially in our work. Um, when we go to change uh, motor or pump, it, it's a two-man job just about every single time. And we have to um, you know, work together, and we're within that metre space. It's just it's just a given. You, know, you cannot do it otherwise. So um, some of the rules are really hard to abide by. If they say, you know, keep space at one metre, it's just about near impossible. And... and being a pave machine, it's very, very warm. You know, we can get up to 50 degrees at certain places. And then um, they say, OK, wear gloves and wear face masks, and, um, like a dust suit or a hygienic suit. It's just about near impossible because, you know, it's that hot, you just can't do it. So some of the rules that are set down are, are not achievable. So, yeah, things have changed um, in that respect, sure. I don't know how big the plant is, but I'm imagining it's big. 
Is it one sort of sign-in yeah. for the whole plant, or is it are you signing into different bits of it? Uh, no, we have a we have a um, card somewhere. You put a swipe card, and that, that that's operated at the gate. So every day that you go and you swipe your card, and the gates let you in. If it doesn't like you one day, and it won't let you in, you know something's wrong. Um, so all the all the non-workers sort of thing, all the travellers, the guys that would come in every so once again, the contractors uh, were affected immensely. We have contractors that work for us and do shuts um, all the time, and um, 20, 30 people at a time from different companies. All their cards were um, were stopped, so they couldn't get in the door. So their livelihoods as well were stopped. So yeah, we felt really, really sad for um, some of the companies around that um, supplied us with labour and with work and school work at that too. Um, so they couldn't come in, and, and they, they got affected quite badly. So, yeah, it, it has changed, and it's only just sort of coming back now. You know, the, the companies around Kawaro and Whakatane that supply us with labour are just getting back on their feet. And they were just getting really okay until the Auckland lockdown went down, and then they went back in again because we, we weren't allowed to have them back on, on the paint machine um, until we went to level one. So, yeah, there's, there's huge changes and consequences. Bubble Sprite of the Forest of Orokudui, Dunedin's favourite goddess... Tahu Mackenzie. Kia ora koutou, nā mihi aroha nui, kia koutou, ko tahuaho. I hope you're all having the best day, beautiful superstars, in your beloved universes. And I really hope that wherever you are, and whatever is happening around you, this journey that we're all on together is proving to be very rewarding, very sustaining, and illuminating for you more and more each day, who you are. A triumph of nature's art, perfect unique and here making things better thank you so as you can hear Poirot is coming to investigate the phone he's very excited about what might be happening and both Poirot and Hastings are very excited at the moment because of course it's spring it's summer I'm sure they're getting a big hormonal surge even though they've been neutered at an early age the kind souls and I think all around us we can see this great abundance in the natural world, the real world, the living world returning and we can feel this energy in ourselves mounting and growing as the sun returns and we have earlier mornings and later evenings and it's just wonderful isn't it, very exciting. So I've had a wonderful time over the long weekend really enjoying the sense of potential, the exciting adventures that are awaiting us especially now we're free. We can all be together in huge hordes of celebratory, elated fun. And I'm really looking forward to, of course, Fairy Flat Folk Festival that I'm involved with every year. And I'll be running the children's program with Dr. Barbara Anderson, Musical Nature. That will be a wonderful experience and it will be great to all be together. And I just think we've done so well getting here. So thank you to everybody for all your hard work. And over the long weekend, a real highlight for me has been going swimming in the ocean. And this is one of my favourite, favourite things to do. And I know that I'm, you know, preaching to the choir here with Samuel Mann, swimming around White Island, the valiant hero. So impressive. I'm not quite at that stage of Samuel Mann doing these huge ocean swims, but I do like swimming in the ocean and being a mermaid. And when I was a small child, I was in... Uh, my Mother Was a Pirate, the play by Margaret Mayhe. There's a beautiful song to the sea in that play, a song of the sea where the sea sings as well. And I always sing that song to the sea. It's really beautiful. Um, so I have this really strong connection with the sea 
And even when I lived in England and the sea was very polluted, obviously, I still loved going there. And I think we're so lucky to have the ocean so close to us that we can connect very easily here in Aote Dunedin and indeed in Aotearoa, New Zealand. So I went swimming in the ocean and it was really amazing and it was really, really refreshing. And of course what I saw was that as the waves recede, we see all these patterns in the sand. And as the waves return, the patterns are obscured and the patterns are changed. And of course this is like our own life that when we are engaging with all of these things that are happening around us, all these waves that are coming our way, all these changes, often we don't see the patterns in our own behaviour or the patterns in our in those that surround us, the patterns in our own lives, because we're in the midst of the immersion in the waves. But it's when the waves recede that we're able to see those patterns and and understand them and think more about them. And that's the process that I'm undertaking right now, looking back at my life and thinking about all these patterns. And of course, as the waves return, those patterns will change. So it's very interesting. And I hope that for you, in whatever way you're connecting with yourself at this time, having had this really fascinating year together, I hope that you're getting these great moments of illumination and deeper understanding with the triumph of nature's art that you are. And I really hope it's very helpful. And I'll look forward to talking to you tomorrow. Thanks so much. Kakiti. Blowing bubbles, we're talking with Steve Mahari. And I'm dropping things. You were in Dunedin a few weeks ago. It's good to yeah, get out yeah, and about we, again. It was. It was bloody fantastic. Um, French. Uh, yeah, we jumped on a plane and um, wore our masks. Um, my wife and I uh, went down to Dunedin and um, we went down there for a pretty special occasion. Um, my wife uh, just finished a diploma and a bachelor of something else and a bachelor of this and a master of that. And I, too many words for me because I'm sort of you know, just a country bumpkin. But uh, she uh, got a Luminoi. Um, yeah, it was pretty special. So uh, we headed off down there and I had, a, had an amazing night, accepted the award and um, it was it was pretty cool. Some amazing people in New Zealand. Um, they're pretty talented. So after that, um, snowed two days, <laughs> which was pretty cool. Um, and we we sort touring around uh, down the Cape there, um, Port Chalmers, and uh, we actually caught up with Mawara. Down Mawara's um, family is all from there, and we went to her marae, and we saw her sister, and uh, visited her there, and had a had a cool time. And then we yeah you know, we went to the um, Albatross Connolly. I said to Mawara she has to say that ten times. When she did Connolly, 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 also Connolly. And it was yeah, freezing again. Um, then after that, caught up with uh, some relations down there, and we went to um, Hamna, not Hamna Springs, um, Hamna. Is it? It's just out of Dunedin, about an hour. It's that place on the coast. Hamden. Hamden. That's it. Close. We had an H in it. And um, we went there and uh, got some powers off the off the rocks. That was pretty awesome. And from there, caught up with another friend of ours, and they took us to Twizel, and we spent three days on the canals catching uh, trout, and it was just amazing. It was just so cool. And the thing that we sort of noticed a, a great deal was just that the um, all the Kiwis, you know, New Zealanders were out and about travelling. You know, there was no disrespect, but there was no tourists around, and I reckon that was cool. You know, we went for a walk up Mount uh, Cook and um, had, had a great time. So, yeah, it was, it was neat. Um, Dunedin, yeah, I've never been there before. And it was, uh, it reminded me a hell of a lot like England, very old. And also uh, four seasons in one day, you know, you wear a jacket half an hour and then you take your jacket off and it gets hot and then you walk back on again. If you don't like Dunedin's climate, you just wait a few minutes. Yeah, that's true. <laughs>
think so, right. And fishing on the, the canals, was that fun? Yeah, oh, that was amazing, yeah. I think we, we caught 21 fish, um, and we let everyone go bar one on the last day. One of the fish swallowed the hook, so we managed to take it home and, yeah, smoked it up, and it was just so, so good. It was really cool. They've got an amazing fishery there, and I think they've uh, got a winner. Um, obviously, with the tourist sort of things, you know, it's a, it's a, going to be a worldwide experience, and, and people know about it already. And, uh, the more people that come, the harder it's getting. But the good thing about it that we were there this, this time, and there were just Kiwis, you know, and they, it was really, really nice to walk down the canals and talk to people in the Kiwi accents, and you know, it was neat. But, um, you know, they, they struggled too to the town in Twizel, and, um, you know, we needed a fishing rod and talked to the guy in the store and said, well, yeah, they have been struggling, but the Kiwis have been coming down and um, supporting them quite well. So, yeah. It's going to be interesting to see how the the tourism industry manages to rebrand and reposition itself for the for the Kiwi market. Yeah. Oh, exactly. They. Um, I think they're doing that as we speak. It, it is difficult. I think. Uh, yeah. We the, the the following week, our two oldest kids, twenty one, so we shouted them a trip um, down to Queenstown, um, which was pretty cool. Um, and the same thing again. You know, you walk around Queenstown, and it was very quiet in Queenstown style. Um, I'd been there a couple of years beforehand, and you couldn't even move in the street. It was that bustling. You know, the, the pubs and the the restaurants were very quiet and stuff. But and yeah, we do feel. I do feel sorry for them. Um, and we try to support them as best we can uh, i think that with the tourism down there um they have you know dropped their prices and um accommodating to the kiwi way of life a little bit and that's that's probably a good thing because no disrespect the game but they've had it pretty good for some time down there and um and, and they have made a killing but um they're, they're probably struggling a bit now which is sad you know as the rest of the world is so they're coming into line i think a little bit with how things are, are doing and that's just my point of view how do you think the Eastern Bay of Plenty's doing? Yeah, well, I, I think um, they're probably struggling a little bit too. You know, obviously with um, with all the you know White Island tourism, that sort of thing has 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 hit it a bad bad spell at the moment. Um, uh, yeah, it's I think it's there, um, but once again they're going to have to try pretty hard uh, to get back on track again. And I hope they do really because Eastern Bay is a cool place, and a lot to offer. Let's take the second of your music choices. You've given us Fleetwood Mac, The Chain. Why this one? Oh, I just, I love Fleetwood Mac. They're, they're an awesome band and um, they've got so many songs to offer and it's like this one.
Did you get to see Fleetwood Mac when they were here a couple of years ago? Yeah, I did. Yeah, I sure did. Yeah, it was great. Had a great time. Where'd you go? Uh, we we saw them in Auckland at, at uh, Mount Smart. No, no, at Victory Arena. That's where it was. We're pretty lucky that those sorts of things can happen here. They're not happening anywhere else. We're stuck with just New Zealand acts at the moment, but that's not too bad. There's an amazing, <laughs> there's an amazing series of of concerts and things lining up for the summer. Yeah, yeah, and it's and it's good too. You know, New Zealand are are pretty damn lucky, aren't they? Really, um, compared to obviously we keep saying it, the rest of the world. You know, they're in dire straits and. Here we are. We're we're just about living our our lives normally again and back to um, how we how we thought it was you know, a year ago. Um, but yeah, you look at the, across the world and um, gee, they're they're in struggle street. So, what's the plan for the summer? Um, yeah, hopefully we can get out there and go fishing. And excuse me, my dog's pet me. Tie away. Um, we're mad keen. Um, sports fishermen so we love to chase marlin and tuna and and all that kind of stuff so we live for the summer um we love to get out there and especially we go down to waihau bay and we, we fish the nationals down there and um the national fishing tournament for a whole week and we try and catch them tag them release and get points and uh for our club um which is really cool and um yeah we do diving and um yeah go to white island and and we try to catch swimming harpooker and, and blue nose, um, big kingfish, snapper, anything that'll bite our line, we 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 uh, we, we love it, eh? Um, so that's our plan for the summer. Now you have to humour me for a moment. How does sport fishing work? Because isn't it just a whole pile of chance? Yeah, oh for sure. Yeah, yeah. Anything that you do with fishing is chance. You know, they, if it was cord blooming. Um, not sorry, it's called fishing, not catching. <laughs> Otherwise, they would say, "Let's go catching," but it doesn't happen like that. So, you know, one day you can go out there and catch um, half a dozen beautiful snapper, go back to the same spot the next day and catch nothing. It's uh, why that happens, I don't know. Um, sports fishing is a little bit different, um, where it's it's based around um, catching fish, putting a tag in it, and letting it go, so that um, you know our, our families and down the line can catch them again. Um, and and that's a cool thing. Um, everyone loves to catch a marlin, and um, and I got no no qualms about people um, taking them home and putting them on the smoker and stuff like that. But um, if if you think that they're um, can be let go and and had a good time with it and and take a photo, all the better. Um, so yeah, there's a, there's a lot of things like that. When I was younger, I just you know wanted to go out there and catch things and bring it home. I think the older I get now, it's getting a little bit softer and. Say okay, we you know how about we you know we've caught ten, let's go home, and and they're all pretty cool about it too. So, and it's it, it has to be sustainable, um, and that's what what uh, game fishing sort of about really. You were catering over the weekend. Was, I was the fish? I was a uh, I was a lackey really. Was the fish on the menu? Um. No, we didn't have fish on menu. No, it was um, what do we have? We had uh, lamb ribs, uh, brisket on the bone, um, lots of pavlovas. Um, with little things running through them. Uh, Mo would have knows what that means. <laughs> She's laughing. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, so we, we had a friend of ours down there. Um, he owns a, a lovely uh, sheep and beef station on PTS Station in Gisborne. Amazing, amazing place. And um, it was his 40th birthday. So um, he tried to get some caterers um, during lockdown and couldn't happen. So myself and my mom, especially my wife and Mawada, decided to say, well, they'll go and do it. So we headed down there for the weekend and um, had it on a, um, a, um, a sheep station there and a sharing shed. And it was it was cool. Mawada danced away the night and no, it was fun. And yeah. did you dance as well? Uh, or did I? I'm not quite sure. Yes, I just he did. He danced and he sang, and we danced and sang. Seriously, Sam, I danced and sang too until one thirty in the morning, like young people. It was amazing. <laughs> so, a pumpkin. So I have some questions to end the show with. What is the biggest success you've had in the last couple of years? Big success. Oh man, that is a huge question. Um, I think probably getting to a stage in your life where you feel comfortable, um, where, you, where your kids are in a good state, um, their future looks pretty um, rock solid. Um, uh, probably where you can sit down and think, well, you know, we've, we've done okay now and it's time to give back to people. Um, uh, I like to think that I can like, help people out, um, especially through my hunting and my fishing. I've got a quite a few young fellas um, that I looked after all the way through when they were sort of, I don't know, just getting into it and um, they didn't know how to prepare animals or you know, they'd shoot them and then bring them back and then they couldn't, um, you know, process them. And um, and I've got about like five or six of the boys now that are in their late 20s and, um, you know, they're just machines now. They can come in, they hang a deer on a chiller and, and, and cut it up and process it as it's all um, all done nicely and it's um, hygienically done and and they've got that skill now to, to go with them and I said, well, you've got to pass that on down the line. So um, passing my knowledge on to, to other people and, and what I know that's right is probably probably what I like doing. Um, and, yeah, and, and achieving that um, is pretty cool, really. You might have just answered this, but what's your superpower? Oh, superpower. Um, no, I don't think I've got a superpower. Maybe um, just having the the guidance to know and teach people what I've done right and what I've done wrong. Um, learn from my experiences and, and pass them on. Um, uh, I think I can talk to people quite well um, and then help them on their journey. Um, like to be able to pick up someone off the street and say, "Hey, here's a hot feed and a and a bed, and help things all right." And uh, you know, we've we've picked up tourists on the side of the road and said, "Come back and have a have a feed," and they've stayed for three weeks. Um, you know, it's all about I think about giving and giving back. So, do you consider yourself to be an activist? Ooh, no, not at all. <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> what I'm motivates active. you? Um, motivates me. Um, yep, getting up in the morning and uh, just going hard. Really, I don't like to sleep in, and I don't like to waste my time, and I don't like people wasting my time. Um, uh, yeah, I um, I want to live life to the fullest because I think at the end of the day, you're a long time dead. 
So what's the biggest challenge you're looking forward to in the next year or so? I think the biggest challenge in the next few years is would be our, uh, probably three of our kids. We've got four kids, and um, three of them are all going to be uh, flying the coop. So we're just going to have um, our 14-year-old uh, at home, and um, that'll be a bit strange because we, we have a huge family. Um, during COVID lockdown, you know, we had there's six of us in our family, plus we had three other people staying with us as well um, that we put in our bubble. Um, and our, our, our doors are always open to people, and um, as my widow knows, um, and so it's, it's very going to be very strange, really, having a sort of quietish household. So that's going to be a challenge. Um, and, but the good thing about it is my wife and I will probably be able to spend more time together and go and do things that we want to do instead of, um, you know, having to rely on other people to look after kids and farm animals and stuff like that. So um, busy is better to a certain degree. And lastly, do you have any advice for our listeners? Oh, gee, advice from me. Um, just uh, make the most of your life, everyone. Um, it is it is real short. Um, and if you can make people smile and um, and you can smile with them, um, it's, and I think that's a, a good thing to have. Um, be kind, be treated how you would like to be treated. Uh, sometimes you have to turn a blind eye or, or turn your cheek the other way. Um, but if you believe in something, stand up for it. Um, and all the best. Thank you very much for that. Mawera. Um, Steve, whether it's um, helping to sight in a rifle or please put my roof racks on or how do I do this or how do I do that or what shall I do with this problem or that problem or the thousand other things that me and everybody else brings your doorstep you're amazing and we appreciate you and your quiet way of just going about and getting things done and always being the solid rock that's so dependable and reliable and kind it's appreciated so much thank you you're more than welcome let's go out to another Fleetwood Mac let's go out to dreams
been listening to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversations with people in their bubbles and their safe spaces around the world. Brought to you by the Sustainable Lens Team, which is brought to you by Otago Polytechnic. We broadcast on Otago Access Radio every weekday afternoon at 3 and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz. You can find us on Facebook and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We had a contribution today from Tahu McKenzie. I'm Samuel Mann in Sawyer's Bay, Dunedin, with Mawira Karatai in Fakatani, and in Kaurau, Steve Mahari. We hope you enjoyed the show. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand on the air. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand on the air.